0: out of one of them, there is an outline of uh, the sermon today. It will be helpful to have that uh, with you. And it will also be helpful to have Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22 in front of you. Uh, As you know, we've been, or some of you will know, that we've been working through Matthew slowly, uh, bit by bit over the years. Uh, And uh, I think we were last in Matthew in March, and now we've uh, Finished our topical series when we come back to where we're up to in Matthew. Matthew 22, and we're looking from verse 15. Now, once upon a time, there was a man who became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, he knew that there were a few things that had to change. His conscience started bothering him about things that never bothered him before. And in particular, he knew that he ought to pay what he owed. And one of the things that he owed was taxes. So he wrote this letter to the Director General of the Inland Revenue Service. Dear Sir, since becoming a Christian, I have been unable to sleep knowing that I have cheated on my income tax. I have understated my taxable income and so hereby I have enclosed a cheque for 1,000 ringgit. If I still can't sleep, I will send you the rest. (laughs) Now, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit, through his word, teaches us to pay our taxes, to pay our debts, to pay back what we owe, to fulfill our obligations. And one of the most famous places where we see that in the Bible is in the passage that we're looking at today. Now, before we do that, let's uh, recall where we're up to in Matthew's Gospel. As I said just now, been, we've been away for it for a while. Now, we are here in the week that leads up to Jesus' death. So things are hotting up. A couple of days before, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey as if he owned the place. The crowd had acclaimed him as king. He had gone into the temple and started teaching there as if it was his own. Not only that, he had driven out the businessmen and the merchants who had set up stalls there. He had clashed with religious leaders, claiming that he had God's authority to do what he was doing. And in fact, by reminding them of John the Baptist, he showed from the Old Testament that he was God himself, come to his own temple. But the religious leaders would not budge. They would not listen or see how he was fulfilling prophecy. He told stories and parables against them which not only predicted his own death, but showed that God would bring judgment upon those responsible for it. So the relationship between Jesus and these religious leaders of Israel were at an all-time low. And the next few incidences that Matthew is going to report here are about clashes between them. The first one, which we're looking at today, involves a trap that the Jewish leaders, in this case the Pharisees, set for Jesus. In verse 25. No, verse 15. And the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. So they wanted to ensnare him. Make him say something that they could use against him. So they start off by trying to soften him up. To put him off his guard by appearing to appreciate him. In fact by flattering him. They say something that's quite unexpected from them, although it's unfortunately quite insincere. Verse 16. They send their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. See, they want Jesus to speak his mind even if it meant going against authorities like the Romans they were buttering him up and trying to uh, trying to Mm embolden him to do that here's the question they ask in verse 17 is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not is it right to pay taxes to the Roman emperor should we do it Or shouldn't we? Now the tax they're referring to here is what's called a poll tax. It was a yearly tax that the Romans imposed on everyone. And many of the Jews resented it. Some of them even objected on religious grounds. Back in AD 6 or 7, about 25 years before, there had even been a rebellion because of this tax. A man called Judas of Galilee had risen up to fight. You are cowards, he said to the Jews, for paying tribute to the Romans and tolerating mortal masters when you have God for your Lord. And his rebellion was brutally crushed by the Romans. We know from a speech in Acts that he was killed and all his followers were scattered. The Pharisees Wanted to trap Jesus. Remember how they brought the Herodians along? We read that just now. Well Herodians were allies of the Romans. If Jesus had said don't pay the tax. The Herodians would have quickly gone back to the Romans and reported him to them. They would have accused him of of planning to start a new rebellion. And they would have had every reason to appeal to the Romans to get rid of him. To execute him for treason. On the other hand, if he said pay the tax, then the Pharisees would swing into action. They'd go to the grassroots and say, Jesus is sold out. and He's not really the Messiah. The Messiah is meant to lead people to freedom, not subject them to foreigners. What kind of king tells his people to pay tax to a foreign country? Only a defeated king, a puppet king. God is Lord, but this is a powerless king. Not the kind of king that God promised in the Old Testament would reign. Now our king will receive tribute from the nations, not pay tribute to the Romans. So they're trying to trap Jesus. Trying to force his hand. Make him say something they can use against him. So how does Jesus respond? Well, he sees right through their trap. And he starts his response by telling them off. Verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said... Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? The word me there is emphasized in the Greek. He's saying, why are you testing me? This is ironic, isn't it? Jesus is the son of God. He is God come to save his people. He is the one who will judge the world. And these guys have the cheek to be testing him. And not only were they testing him, but they weren't sincere about it. They didn't really want to know the answer. They weren't coming to him with a problem because they really want to do the right thing and they don't know what the right thing is to do. They're just trying to trap Jesus. Hypocrites, weren't they? Say all those nice things about Jesus with the sole purpose of trying to ensnare him. It's just so evil. But you know, many people do that. Many of you have had people try to trap you at work. Maybe so they can get ahead. you ever had that? Yeah. Make you look bad so they look good. Happens in many workplaces. Sometimes this too happens when people are telling the gospel. People ask questions. Sometimes, not because they want to know the answer, but just to trap us. And Jesus knows what it's like. Happened to him here. Now, what would you do if this happened to you? How would you respond? Let me tell you. When I'm in a dispute with someone, I tend to think of a very clever thing to say that demolishes their arguments and shows very clearly that I'm right. That's usually quite forceful and yet witty. But unfortunately, it comes to me about a week later. Usually in the shower, and far too late to use. Now, Jesus is not like that. He's a really impressive teacher. He's a really wise man. And not only is he going to escape that little trap, but instead he's going to turn it around. And bring it out to their own heads right away. See how he does it. It says in verse 19, he says, Show me the money. Show me the I don't know whether that's where Jerry Maguire got his famous phrase from. Okay, It's not necessarily saying the same thing here, is he, Jesus? He's saying, show me the money for the tax. All right, Show me the coin for the tax. He was asking for this coin. Let me show you the coin. That's it. Okay, And that's the coin they brought to him. Now, by the way, you can still buy these on the internet. Uh, in fact, there's an auction going right now for the very coins that you see there. If you have a spare 450 to $650, US you too can bid for one. And then you can give them to me next time I'm preaching on this passage instead of showing you a picture. Some of the Jews didn't like this coin. Now, most of the Jews, frankly, didn't really care too much about it. But but some of them would find it very objectionable and for two reasons. Let's have a look at the coin on the screen, the next one. Uh, Shall we go to the next? Yeah, okay, that's that coin again, right? Now, there's two things about it. Uh, let's see if this works. Yep. Okay. things. First of all, there is an image here. And then here, there is an inscription. Okay? There's an image and an inscription. Now, first look at the image. The image here is a picture of the Roman Emperor. Actually... Well, these coins were so objectionable to the Jews that the Romans had minted special coins for them that didn't have this image of the Roman Emperor on it, which they used for everything else except for this tax. Right? For this tax, they had to use this coin. Right? The Jews didn't like it because of the Second Commandment. They're not to make a graven image of anything or bow down to it. Right? But for the taxes, they still had to use this. And the second thing they didn't like was the inscription that's on the coin. Right? The inscription, that, that's the inscription in Latin. Uh, and what it means is this. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Right? In other words, it's saying Caesar, the Caesar at the moment is Tiberius, and he is the son of the divine Augustus. That is, he, he sa- it says that he is the adopted son of the previous emperor who was divine, who is a god. So, the Jews, of course, had quite an objection to that as well. So on the coin you've got the image and the inscription, both of which were objectionable. Now, Jesus says to the Pharisees and Herodians, in verse 22, Uh, no, not verse 22, where are we? He says to them in verse 20, whose likeness, or the word there is actually image, and inscription... Is this? Well, whose image is on the coin? It is Caesar's. Whose inscription is on the coin? It is Caesar's. So when Jesus asks whose image and whose inscription on the coin, what do they say? Well, they rightly say Caesar's. And then comes Jesus' reply. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. The word render means to give back. It's a word used when paying a debt. Obligation. Pay back. Give the coin back to Caesar. It belongs to him, Jesus says. It's his money. You owe it to him. It's his face, his inscriptions, his money. Pay it to him. Pay your tax. Pay what you owe. Pay to Caesar what you owe to Caesar. Now, what would it meant? What it would have meant for these people to do that? Well, it would have meant to pay their tax, even though they didn't agree with what was written on the coin. Even if they didn't agree with having an image on the coin in the first place. That's not the important thing. The image on the coin is not to worship Caesar as son of God, but to pay him tax as emperor. And they were to give it to him. Furthermore, they didn't have to agree with what Caesar was going to do with the money. They can't say, well, it's okay if you use this to build roads, but don't use it to build armies. Or, you can't say, I won't pay the tax because some of this tax money will go to build your pagan temples. It's not the point. Pay to Caesar what you owe Caesar, and what Caesar does with Caesar's money is Caesar's problem. And friends, that applies to us today as well, doesn't it? We are to give the government of the day their dues. If we owe taxes, we are to pay our taxes. If we owe honor and respect, then it's honor and respect. If it's time doing national service, it's time doing national service. Better obey the law of the land in so far as it doesn't contradict the word of God. And pay Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But Jesus says it doesn't stop there. You have an obligation to the king, but you have an even bigger obligation to God. Fulfill your obligations to God. Pay back to God the things that are God's. Make sure you pay God what you owe him. Now, we know what people were to render to Caesar, they were to render that coin as tax. But what were they meant to render to God? What is it that we are meant to pay back to God? What is it that belongs to him? Well, when you look at the coin, you see Caesar's image. That's why Jesus called him to bring out the coin. Where do we see God's image? The denarius bears the the, the, the likeness of Caesar. Who is it that bears the likeness of God? It's Genesis 1.27, isn't it? God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. The one thing in all creation that bears God's image is the human race. The human beings bear the image of God. That's us. And so when Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesars, but render to God the things that are God, he's saying, look, you pay your taxes to the government, but your life, your whole self, your whole being, you render that to God. And so rendering to Caesar comes in the context of a greater loyalty. We have a higher allegiance, a, a bigger obligation. We give the government our taxes, but we do not give ourselves. We are made in the image of God. We are to give God our very selves. Which means every part of our life comes under his rule as creator. That means total loyalty and total allegiance and total obedience. It means living for his kingdom and glory above everything else. It means that he is the real king of our lives. Now sometimes, when people have thought about this passage, they've described things in this way. See, there are some things that are secular. There we go. Let's see if I can get that again. Okay, there we go. Some things that are secular, they come under the temporal authorities, they come under the government. So that's Caesar. Right? There's your life overall. This is a Venn diagram. Life overall, there's Caesar. And then there are some things that, on the religious side that come under God. Right? So you render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And you render to God what is God. But that's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? When you have rendered your taxes to Caesar, you have discharged your responsibilities to him. Because Caesar occupies one box in your life. One circle. How you relate to the government. But if you are truly rendering to God what is God's, then he cannot be put in one box. You can't put... The church and religion box there and say, okay, we pay that like I pay taxes in my, in my Caesar box. Even if you say, look, that's, that's, that's a really important box. That's the, that's the biggest box. We cannot put God into one box in our lives because all the boxes belongs to him. We belong to him. We owe Caesar our taxes. We owe God our lives. Render to God what is God's, His image, everything. You were made by Him. You were made for Him. Everything, all of life, is about Him. Like the coin belonged to Caesar, you belong to God. Like Jews owe taxes to the emperor, you owe yourself to God. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. And so friends, here's a better diagram. Where our whole life is lived under God, and where we what we owe to Caesar comes in as as part of that. So there's no big divide between the, the, the there's no divide between the sacred and the secular. Because our whole lives are consecrated to God. And within that We serve our country, we pay our taxes, we obey the law. Not because Caesar has a special sphere of influence that is outside of our service to God. But we do it as part of our service to God. And even the reason we render to Caesar what is Caesar's is because God wants us to. Just like the reason we go to work in the morning is to serve him. And the reason we serve our families is because it's what he wants us to do. And and the reason we do anything in the end is for him. And so therefore, if there is a clash between what Caesar says and God says, then you must always obey God rather than man. Does that make sense? Incidentally, this passage has also been often used to justify the separation of church and state. It's not the point that Jesus is making. Don't get me wrong, I actually think there's a really good idea to have a separation between church and state. Church institutions which take over the roles of the state become too powerful and, and when institutions are powerful they become corrupt because they attract people who are there for the power not because they love God and they want to serve him. But this passage is not about church institutions and denominations. It's, it's about God being God of every area of our life. About him ruling us by his spirit through his word in each and every part. About rendering to God what is due to him. Now, when Jesus said these things, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were stunned. He had not only escaped their trap, but he had actually taught a profound message. And not only that, he had shown up where they came, they came short. Because they had failed to render to God what was rightly his. God had come to his temple, as the Old Testament had predicted, but instead of worshipping him and giving him his place, they sought to trap him in his own words. And so in one simple sentence, he turned the tables on them. This is one teacher you don't mess with. This is one man you don't try to debate. This is one impressive, wise one. And it says in verse 22, That when they heard it, they marveled. But then it continues. And they left him and went away. They were impressed by Jesus. They stopped harassing him. But they failed to submit to him. They just, they just went away. And friends, I hope you're impressed by Jesus. If you're not a believer and you came here today or you're listening to this on the internet, as lots of people do, and we're very impressed by Jesus, well that's that's good. But that's not enough. If you stop trying to trap your Christian friends and start asking meaningful questions, that's that's good too. But that's not enough. Jesus is God made human. You owe him as God. You owe him your very self. Give him what is due. Give him your life. The Pharisees and the Herodians refused to give Jesus what he was due. and he didn't, They didn't pay back what they owed. But Jesus, in contrast, did exactly what he said. Jesus rendered to the Father exactly what he was owed. And he did it in a way that is far bigger than we would have realized if this is only what we had. See, the Bible talks about us being made in the image of God. We've seen that already. But there is another way in which the Holy Spirit speaks in the Bible about the image of God. That is, he points us to Jesus Christ as the true image. Although we're made in the image of God, we, as we sang just now, that image is distorted by sin our failure to treat god properly our failure to give god his due has affected us but jesus christ is the perfect man he is the one who never sinned and all his life he rendered to god what belonged to him and he only he perfectly expresses god's image colossians 1:15 says that jesus is the image of the invisible god he rules the universe in the way that god the father intended under him We see Caesar's image on the coin, but we truly see God's image in Jesus. Now, we've talked a lot about image, but Jesus talked about two things on the coin, didn't he? The image and the inscription. The Greek word for inscription is used five times in the Bible. Three times is referring to this incident in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Do you know where it is in the other two times? It's at the cross, where Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God, was crucified. Remember the inscription on the tax coin said, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. A pretentious claim. The inscription on the cross, right above the crucified Jesus, said, King of the Jews. That is the real king. That is the true Son of God. At the cross we have again that image and inscription. Like the coin. Because Jesus is paying the ultimate debt. See friends, if we don't pay our taxes we go to jail. But if we don't pay God what is due we go to hell. And that's justice. We owe the government our tax. We owe God our lives. But you know, none of us treat God properly in that way. God deserves our everything and we we fail to render what is His. And we have this great big problem. And this problem is the problem that God Himself resolved at the cross. Where the Son offered Himself to the Father on our behalf. Where He died to take the punishment that we deserve. Where He rendered the Father the payment of our debts. The sacrifice on the cross was the full, perfect, sufficient offering that pays the price that we could never afford. So that we could be forgiven and restored. As human beings, we are to render to God the things that are God's. And as the perfect human being, Jesus did that. As the Divine One, He did it for all of us. And so, friends... Those who belong to Jesus now are free. Free from the punishment of sin. Free from the fear of judgment. Free from the condemnation that comes from the failure to to render ourselves holy to God. But we are not free from the obligation to render to God what is his. For we are still made in his image. And we still belong to him. And in fact our obligation is doubled. For not only do we belong to him by creation, we belong to him by redemption as well. He was merciful to us when we least deserved it. He paid a terrible price to save us, giving his life for us on the cross. And so we owe him, not just for making us, but for saving us as well. We owe him twice over, and we have twice the reason to give our lives to him. So, brothers and sisters, as we live our lives this week, let's make a point of rendering our dues. To pay what we owe to whom we owe it. As part and parcel of giving God what we owe Him. We owe Him our lives. Lived out day by day to His praise and glory. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us. Thank you for making us in your image, in in your likeness. And we know that we belong to you. And Lord, we do want to give our lives to you. To pay what we owe you in terms of our, our love and our obedience. We know, Lord, that we fall short of that so many ways. And we thank you for Jesus who has rendered that perfect obedience, that perfect life, sacrificed on the cross for us. And thank you now that we belong to you twice over. That you have not only made us, but you have saved us. And Lord, in response to your mercies, we do want to offer our lives to you. We do want to give you our hearts, our souls, our everything love you and serve you day by day to live, our, to live our lives to your glory because you have loved us. Help us Lord to render our debts to you. In Jesus name. Amen.
1: Will you stand and let's sing again this song, uh, saying to God just that—that we will offer our lives to Him. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth for. Out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice of a broken heart. Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend? To so loving a King, Savior, what can be said? What can be sung at the praise of Your name? For the things You have done, oh, my words could not tell, not even in part of the debt of love that is owed. By this thankful heart. You deserve my every breath. For you paid the great cost. Giving up your life to death. Even death on a cross. You took all my shame away. There defeated my sin. Opened up the gates of heaven and have beckoned me in Jesus what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? Savior what can be said? What can be sung as a praise of your name? all the things that you've done, all my words could not tell, not even in part, of the debt of love that is owed by this thankfulness.
0: Standing, all of us have fallen short in God's sight. We've sinned, and we know we are sure that um, that if we repent, our sins are forgiven. Let us say the words of the confession. It's on the screen. Holy Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and broken your laws. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son, who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you, and to please you more and more. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.